The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garam Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we're going to do something a bit different. Rather than focus on a particular company, we're going to catch up with Tolga Kromova. He's the bustling Melbourne-based mining investor who has become so well-known that like Prince, Pink and Elvis, he always gets referred to as just Tolga. Like the rest of us, Tolga has had to park up the Ferrari and stable up the polo ponies during COVID-19. Trips to Mykonos and LA have been off the agenda, but I must say, going by his latest Instagram and Facebook postings, Tolga's looking as buff as ever. <laughs> we'll ask the former stockbroker how he's managed to do that during the lockdown here uh, in Australia's lockdown capital of Melbourne. But we also reckon the downtime caused by COVID has also given Tolga time for some extra deep thinking on his mining investments and what opportunities he sees out there. Just to finish up today's, uh, we'll also ask Tolga for a, a stock tip that we can all uh, jump on board for the remainder of 2020. Now with that, I'm going to say good day to Tolga and welcome him to the podcast. Mate, what an introduction. Um, I've, I've, missed, I've actually missed Nick and Oss, so I probably missed the polar writing. Um, <laughs> In terms of being buff, my brother, who loves the gym, has gone and turned the garage, or his garage, into a proper full um, class gym. So I've been spending time doing that. But you're right. Um, during this period, having so much more time to think and actually focus, um, there's been that many opportunities come across my desk, but siphoning through them, um, I've had a fair bit of time to be able to do that. So, mm. yeah, it's been good. Thanks for being good for me. It's good. Well, glad that your brother's... Uh got into the spirit of innovation there. Uh, now, perhaps it's good to start out if we look at some of your, you know, bigger and better known investment positions. Let's uh, start with New Century. I've uh, been in the news during the week. Uh, what's the story there and how do you see it panning out? Um, New Century. So, I mean, we'll start off with the zinc story before you look mm. at the nickel and cobalt asset we've gone through. Acquired from MMG. Um, you know, the boys have taken the tailings, put it through the plant and um, processed and, and sold I think a couple hundred million dollars worth of zinc now. Um, it's been difficult because when we started that process, zinc was about a buck fifty, a buck sixty a pound. Mm-hmm. And it's fallen down to 80 cents and it's sitting around 85, 88 now. Treatment charges were $20 uh, per ton. And now this they got as high as $320. But they've also dropped to about $150. So the zinc story is probably wipes its face at the moment. And um, if you get a bit of a pop, if we get a bit of a pop in the zinc price, it'll probably start to make money. So the guys have kind of got that undercover. Because mm-hmm. um, they've got the confidence and they've in themselves that now they're not going to need to go back to the market, I don't think, again, as a result um, right. of having that sorted. They've probably gone off to look at um, other opportunities. And this is a, the Goro asset is, is, is a big one, to say the least. Um, mm-hmm. Coming off Vale, things been that project's been have dramas for, uh, since inception. Um, it was it's cost eight and a half billion dollars, so there's a ridiculous amount of sunk capital there. Um, it's an eighty year reserve, so it's one of those things at different times parts of the cycle, and it can last cycles. Um, it's going to make significant amounts amounts of money. Now, 
The difference I see in the way that um, New Century are going to run that project and operate that project from, from um, the company's statements earlier this week is doing DSOR for the saprolite, which is, is absorbs a lot of acid in the process mm-hmm. um, and only processing limonite ore through the plant that they have and not taking it all the way to nickel oxide, nickel metal, they're taking it to MHP, which is a precursor to nickel sulfides, which is what is required for electric vehicles. So in my mind, the way I see New Century now, I mean, we haven't been given all the details, hence the market's sort of reaction. We haven't been told how many tons they're going to process. We don't haven't been told what they think their cost structure is going to be, just taking to MHP um, and how much cobalt they're going to produce as well. So it's it's still incredibly early days for that transaction. Um, personally, I believe they will complete it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my view on it is it's it's effectively a um, a massive call option on EVs. Now, if you believe in EVs, you believe in the lithium story, you believe in the cobalt story. Um, this this is basically a way to play that perfectly. Now, I do a comparison. There is a company I can compare it to, and I was invested in this company once upon a time. Um, I was probably a major shareholder of it then as well. It's thing called Cleantech. And Cleantech has chairman's Robert Friedland, a wild nine mining entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, Cleantech, when nickel prices were significantly high and cobalt was running on the back of EVs, it had about a seven $800 million market cap. It was raised, I think, about $150 million from Australian Super and Fidelity um, for a HPAL plant. It was going to cost probably $2.5 billion and needs to be permitted, built, op- and, and actually operated. Now, right now, New Century's market cap is $120 million or thereabout, $150, $200 million. Um, And it's literally just got $8.5 billion worth of sun capital. It's got a plant that's built and operating that's had years of um, history that they're going to now obviously change the process, but it's already got a history of um, of operating. Um, You don't have to wait for the build process. You don't have to wait for permitting. You don't have to wait for that ramp-up period. So it's, 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 I think... It's, a, it's effectively a gift. Um, and it, it all depends on the rest of the terms of the agreement. But um, in due course, I'm sure they'll all come out and um, the boys there will be able to explain it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a, a very useful comparative there with the Cleantech project in New South Wales, which uh, they're still uh, seeking to raise the financing for, whereas, as you pointed out, Goro is, uh, has been up and running for uh, well, 10 years now. It's got a few issues to sort out, but... Uh, if anyone's going to sort it out, it'll be the guys at uh, New Century, given what they've achieved at the old Century Mine with the retailing treatment project there. Now, Bellevue, um, some very impressive uh, infill drilling results during the week, prompting everyone to expect that the upcoming interim indicated resource is, uh, could be higher than expectations. I'm just wondering how you're feeling about uh, Bellevue's story so far this year. Yeah, mate, I'll give you a bit of history. So I originally started buying these drag shares. DRG was a code once upon a time. I was buying at like one and a half, two cents, three cents. When uh, Steve Parsons joined the board, I took a placement to back him at three cents. Then there was another raise at five, which I, I did half of at the time. Um, again, backing him on his theory, he had this strategy. Um, if you look at the project there, it was, it was sitting, it wasn't a big license. It was sitting in between, I think, Northern Star at North and... Um, Goldfields to the south, and you know there was high grade gold deposit there, and they've, they've gone and drilled it, and they've turned into what looks like it's going to be a tier one asset in Australia. And it's incredibly high grade, um, and it's I think it's two point two million ounces now. And you would, I, and don't quote me on this, but I think it'll probably go north of five in due course. Um, mm. And 
it will be a project that produces. I've had people question um, in terms of depth, in terms of potential size, once they come out with indicator resource. But every time we question the asset, um, Steve Parsons goes out and <laughs> answers it pretty inc incredibly well. I mean, some of those numbers yesterday um, and the drill results were phenomenal and they're infill drilling. So you would be surprised at category and confidence to to hold the grade, if not increase it, and to also increase the size. So it's 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 um it's kind of the gift that keeps giving this thing. Mm. It's I've noticed that it's it's more than doubled from its March low up to around seventy cents as we speak. Do you see upside in the price from here? Uh, yeah. Well, I've got to give um, credit to Luke Gleeson who came from Northern Star. He was uh, their IR guy, and he's come on. Joined the board at Bellevue. He brought BlackRock in at, uh, in a placement um, during the middle of the COVID nineteen issues. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I was looking at a report coming out of Canaccord this morning um, or overnight. They're rating a dollar thirty five a share as their target price. They're, they've mm -hmm. modelled that it makes two hundred eighty million dollar EBITDA um, going forward. The market cap, I mean, the cap that needs the, the cash that needs to be raised to build a plant is only about 75, 80 mil which I suspect they'll get a significant amount of debt for that. So you're probably not seeing another massive equity raise. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's now the the issue for institutions, and, and believe me, I get getting bid for stock every other day, um, is that they can only buy a market. So it's not like one of those stocks where you're like, oh, there's a cap raise coming. They've done their raise. And um, now investors can only really absorb stock on on screen. So it's, it's, it's actually... Um, yeah, one of those ones that could rewrite pretty quickly. And I suspect leading into this indicator resource, it will do well. And if if what I what I believe and what the company is indicating, um, that they're going to have, you know, something potentially larger um, resource in the indicator and potentially, if, even if it kept the grade, it's amazing. But if it got higher, then yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Okay. So take it from all that, you're a long-termer in... Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, look, don't get me wrong. I've sold some stock to buy other things. And I mean, I've got like 42 million shares. So hmm. it's a significant position. I mean, if I you know, sold a couple million, it's not going to make a difference in terms of um, hmm. my view of stock. Okay. Uh, that actually raises an interesting um, uh, question. Uh, we're, all of us are allowed to sell shares, but given you often have big positions in stocks, um, how do you handle that? What in itself can sometimes be a disruptive event, and people say, oh, "I've told with selling, the, you know, the story isn't good anymore." Uh, just what goes through your mind when you come to perhaps thinking about selling something? Yeah, you know, it's actually quite difficult for me. Like, I know I've had this debate with people all the time. Um, I buy shares just like everybody else. And I usually, I'm in a placement, or I'm buying on a market, and, I'm, and you can see it recently. And I've got a couple of companies I can talk about it, I've just done that with, but um, for me to be able to sell on market, there has to be a ridiculous amount of volume to be able to make it like actually worth my while mm -hmm. um, to be able to move a position, which means a company that's either found something amazing um, and it's worth something or uh, something like Bellevue, like it's got to become a real company for me to be able to liquidate stock. So like I said, you know, institutions coming and bidding me for shares, that's typically the way that I can actually crystallize a profit. Um, some of these little things that I've that I've been involved with that have, and I say exploration, they're little things, but like, this is this is why I do this. Mm. Is I'm backing management teams who've 
basically led me to believe there is an opportunity there. I take the risk versus reward. Um, so I'm looking at what valuation I'm buying in at and what is the potential upside if they discover what they're looking for. So typically I'm not going for things that are small because um, I, don't, I don't think that institutions are going to come bid me for stock at some point, mm-hmm. which is my only way I can get out of any of these positions. Um, and that that's basically my strategy. Uh, like I'll give you examples. I was in perfect example, give you uh, MEI, bought stock at one and a half cents, one cent, um, and I bought all my shares. And I then mm-hmm. stock went to six cents on the premise that they, they'd hit, potentially hit gold in Brazil where they were drilling. Wow. Um, they did it. And I mean, I owned I know, 12 or 13% of the company. I rode all the way up and all the way down. And um, mm-hmm. they go back and start drilling again very soon. And if they succeed this time, then I, you know, I'll, I'll be there. But I don't really get a chance to sell them like people think. Mm-hmm. The only people that are selling are people that are actually trading it more so than anything else. And that's not my position. That's not how I invest and that's how I make money. Um, give you an example of what I've just bought, or a couple I've just bought. I bought uh, into Rivers Gold. Yeah. Again, um, started buying the shares on market. Uh, there was a gentleman out of Perth who was selling to me in volume, so I took them all. Um, then the company obviously contacts me and says, look, you're interested in a placement. And then I was like, all right, you know, I want to put money in because I'm already excited about what you're doing. Um, that example, to be very funny, I'll explain in a bit of detail. They had some Alaskan assets um, that I had financed when I financed, when I was stockbroker going back, 2009, I suspect, mm. um, when I did the deal for Dora. So I raised money for Dora, I did the IPO for Dora and these Alaskan assets in seed at the same time in 2009. Mm. But this is why I know I've been around the market for long enough. <laughs> I, um, I've gone around, bought a shell that specifically for some West Australian gold projects, permits, and it had the Alaskan assets in it. Mm. So I've uh, gone full circle. <laughs> um, makes me feel old, but anyway. Um, then, you know, the strategy there, I said, like, yes, I'm buying out of valuation. I think the risk versus reward is, is, is incredibly skewed. Um, they've got, I'll, I'll explain in a little bit of detail. They're um, 40 kilometers of Randall Fault. Their signature on the Salt Lake, so I had some hits here, um, looks bigger than, San, better than San Ives. Mm-hmm. It's a thousand square kilometers of Greenstone Belt. It's 40 kilometers from Kalgoorlie, 50 kilometers from Kalgoorlie. To the north, you've got Northern Star. To the south, you've got Goldfields. To the east, it's Sumitomo. Um, so it's all the hallmarks of doing BGL again. And I'm like, again, it's not BGL yet, but the risk versus reward, in my opinion, is skewed in its favour at the moment. Wow. So, yeah. There you go. So that's a, a recent addition to the uh, Yeah, so I've got about 8%, probably have 10%. If a share price falls, I'll probably buy more. Hmm. Um, okay. Or even if it sits around this level. If there's volume, I'll do it. But yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. Um, the other move, I've, if I can call it a theme, is uh, you seem to have uh, starting to dabble in uranium stocks. What's your outlook on uranium? And uh, in particular, I think it's GTR and Alligator, is it, that you've been buying into? Yeah, I bought a, yeah, a couple of them. Again, risk versus reward. You're looking at these companies and they're, um, oh, GTR, it's, I think it's like 30 or 40 kilometres from a historical plant. It's based in the US. It is expiration play, so I'll qualify it, risk versus reward. Um, if they go out and hit what they think they're going to hit, uh, it'd be great. Um, it reminds me a little bit of um, some of these other players. And not, not exactly the same. It's not like Boss. Boss has already got a plant which they own or mm-hmm. Lotus, which has already got a plant that they own at Kerra. 
This is a bit different. It doesn't have the plant. It's basically just a process, uh, mine feed and process it straight to the processing plant. So it does have a, a, a clear path to production. Um, it's not like some of these other ones where they need to raise a billion dollars or $500 million to build a massive operation. This is, um, they're going to explore it, find it, get a mining license and, and straight, ship it straight to the plant. So that's interesting. Alligator caught my attention more so to the extremely high grade um, hits it around its tenement up in Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they haven't been able to do work on it just because of the um, COVID-19 issues. And so at some point they'll probably come around and, and potentially drill that. But the team there, you know, the MD has been in uranium for fucking 40 years. Mm-hmm. So knows a little bit about it. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he's looking at other projects um, that at some point become become the, the clear focus. But uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely a couple of interesting ones. Mm. I take it from those moves, though, that you are, uh, you're bullish on uranium, finally breaking out of this slumber it's been. Yeah, well, you know, these guys are touched off their operations, off their plants. And um, I've listened to that many fund managers talk about uranium and that it's going to move. There's going to be a short supply. There's going to, but I've, I've always sat through these presentations and gone, what's a catalyst? I never could have comprehended the catalyst was COVID-19 for yeah. switching off, giving the boards of groups like Cameco and Kazaprom to actually switch, give them an excuse to be able to switch off their plants. I mean, they've yeah. also got issues with, with you know their labor force and whatever and standing them down, all those dramas of the board. You just can't do that. But this has become an excuse to do it. And they have. Um, and to be perfectly honest, most of these companies, they need significantly higher prices than where the spot price is today to be economic. Um, so buying the spot market, delivering into your contract currently is, makes a lot more sense than you know producing at significantly higher prices. Plus what it does is it lets your customer, or the, um, the power stations know, the power plants know that you they need a higher price or the producers need a higher price to become economic. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of, the logic is making a lot of sense. The catalyst is probably not what we hoped it would have been or what you thought it would have been, but it just, just kind of played out that way. Yeah, interesting stuff. Now, just to uh, wrap it up, I was just wondering, have you got a, a tip for the punches as a, on a stock to watch for the remainder of 2020? Well, Something uh, nice and cheap, but with plenty of action ahead. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm on the board of European Cobalt, and um, mm-hmm. that who had a cobalt project in Slovakia, the multi-element, there's nickel cobalt there, it was real high grade, but when the cobalt price fell away, it became completely non-economic. Um, so we're looking for assets and we're in trading hole at the moment. So that's acquiring another gold project, which I won't go into too much detail, but it is um, interesting. Mm-hmm. So that will be one to watch. But the other one that I'm, again, I'll say I'm biased, but because I oh, you're so to much be. of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm biased because... I've been and visited this project in um, in Utah, and it's walking over. There's copper literally everywhere, copper and silver. There's zinc. There's, you can see it's multi-element, but there's um there's definitely a copper deposit there. It went all the way from twenty cents to two dollars fifty or something. So we're talking about Alderon. Yeah. Alderon, yeah. So um, ALA. It's uh yeah. So it's come all the way down to one and a half cents. Raised a little bit of money to get going. The board and management management changes. Uh, we're instigated by us. Um, so gentleman by the name of Pete Williams has come on board and he's actually a rock star geologist. Hmm. And Marat Absalov. So the two of them have come on board, reinterpreted all the data, gone 
and done a deal with Rio Tinto. So I think Rio mm-hmm. spending, don't, don't quote me here, but like 30 million US to earn 70% of it. Um, and Rio's obviously looked at the geophysical data and all the technical um, data that was produced by the previous management team and said, you guys have kind of missed the target. You haven't even hit any of the targets. So Rio was meant to take, I think, two years to get a drill rig out there. Mm. I think it took them about six months. Mm. So they're drilling right now. Um, and they're going for like monster targets. So it's, I think it's a thousand meters deep. So it's big target stuff. Um, that's happening. But then Pete Williams and his team, they've gone and locked up all the ground around this. And there's been um, the package around it to the north. And there's another project called Drum. And some of these things have been drilled in the 60s. And, and sit, the, the, the data sitting in like boxes, just handwritten writing. So um, they're obviously going to go back and follow that up with a whole bunch of um, uh, drilling, which I suspect will be exciting. And I was listening to a talk by Pete Williams the other day on Alderon, and he's, he's like, look, within 12 months, I know I'm going to have a discovery. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming, my assumption is, he'll probably know exactly where to drill looking at all the historical information. Um, mm-hmm. And copper hits in the 60s, or gold hits in the 60s. What would have got them excited compared to what would get us excited is very, very different. Okay. Uh, just for the listeners, uh, it's in the same part of the world as uh, Rio Tinto's uh, uh, Bingham Canyon mine, which has been going, what, for 100 years, I think? 100 years? Yeah, I visited Bingham Canyon. So Rio's looking for the replacement for being a canyon. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that that is probably my, well, in terms of potential, when I say potential, again, this is not advice. This is just no. me talking about what I'm doing. Um, and I, I take risk, obviously. Um, so it's, and I'm looking for a reward. And I go back to my example, Bellevue, two cents. It's now 80 cents. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm taking a lot of risk and the potential rewards are there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my play for this year, but it's raising money right now, so it's going to have cash to go and do that work. Right. With Rio at the same time funding exploration uh, through a... a f- yeah, yeah, okay. Interesting. Alrighty, Tolga, uh, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for that uh, tip at the end there. Uh, interesting as always, and uh, like the rest of us, we... Uh, Looking forward to uh, breaking out of um, COVID and uh, catching up before long. So all the best with it, mate. No worries, mate. Appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Cheers.